This is the first episode of Funding the Jump. Yeah. And my name's David Ivey, and I'm going to be interviewing Brian Prince today. Hello. Brian, can you do a quick introduction of yourself, please? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's so formal. I love it. Uh, yeah, I am Brian A. Prince. I am a parkour person, and I have been for 10 years. Um, I am very tall. <laughs> I'm 6'10". Uh, I've recently gotten into a lot of, not a lot, but a decent amount of stunt work, so I've been doing a lot of that. But... I've been doing art-related things, illustration, drawing, uh, since I was a kid, and then I went to art school, and so after art school, a lot of my projects were very inspired or fueled by parkour in the parkour community, and so a lot of uh, freelance work that I've gotten in the past has been because of the parkour community. Right now, I do a decent amount of t-shirt designs for different jams and events, and then I'm also working on a graphic novel right now, my which was my main thing I've always been working on. Uh, Savannah College of Art Design was the school I went to, and for sequential art, which is basically the fancy way of saying comics. And I really started working on this graphic novel projects. And this year, I'm happy to say that I have like a publishing deal. I, I, I scored a publishing deal, and now that is the main thing I'm working towards. And so that is the main things about me. I'd say <laughs> like height, art, parkour, stunts. Uh, I like Mexican food. <laughs> so. cool. All right, that's a pretty good in-depth intro. Awesome. <laughs> um, so the goal for Funding the Jump is supposed to be that it's about talking about financials, just financial stuff and money um, in the parkour community. Parkour people are broke. What if they weren't? <laughs> it's the tagline for your show. Well, why don't we start with that, Brian? In your mind, what would be what would the benefits be if like parkour people weren't all broke? Um, I, I think it's 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 easy to say the obvious things, right? Like uh, people are like money doesn't buy you happiness. No, it buys you comfort and utility and quality, and those things can lead to you developing happiness, right? And so, for me, it's it's it's. Those are the obvious things of why parkour people shouldn't be broke. But my main thing with the concept of that question is that why do people feel like they need to be broke? I feel like we self-perpetuate this idea of, oh, I'm broke because I'm a parkour dude. And it's like, that might be the case, but like, why not try to figure out a way to change that? Because when, when, when one of us win, we all win if we all win. And um, I feel this way a lot it, it, in art, in illustration and whatnot, how um, a lot of artists... Um, in my field like I'm not a fine arts person I'm not a sculptor I'm not a graphic designer I draw illustration mainly based off of like my younger influences of manga anime and cartoons and there's a lot of really talented artists on the internet who make really really amazing work that is a culmination of 10 to 20 years of experience and then they're still like oh I can only charge five dollars can I curse on this are we cursing? Yeah, go for it. Okay, fuck Yolo. that. Fuck that. Like, you've been doing a skill for 20 years, and for those, you got a degree in doing it. Why do you think that you only deserve $5 for even 30 minutes of your work? That's ridiculous. Um, and it's crazy to me how the artists that win, the, I don't even like saying winning, but the artists that are successful are just simply those who said, fuck that. I don't, I don't want to be worth nothing. And they started valuing themselves. And it's one of those things where, like, yeah, I can charge $10 a pop for a thing, or I can charge 100 And a lot of people are like, but it's harder to find the person that will pay 100 Right, but you'll have to do 10 and I only did one. So why not put the effort in in finding 10 people instead of putting the effort in doing 10 pieces? 
Like, what the hell kind of backwards shit is that? Sorry. <laughs> no, I think that was great. And so I guess one question that I want to ask is, since that's not the standard perspective that lots of people have, like, what were your origin stories with money? And how did you get to the point that you're at now where you sort of value your time in a way that other people don't do as easily? Um, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of it's luck and um, privilege. Like, I'm, I'm completely willing to admit those things. Um, but we play with the cards that were dealt. Uh, so there were a lot of things I had. There were also a lot of things I didn't have. But where it started was we, we were pretty well off growing up uh, in, the, in the Atlanta suburbs. And then, like, a time came where my dad switched jobs. And then we just, like, hit a point where we're like, oh, we're not, like, we're not, like, balling. But, you know, we're not doing that either. But, like, the concept of I, I want to own this Xbox became more of a, oh, I don't know if we should do that. And so I started, like, in, like, an early, you know, like, a middle school, high school age, I started really recognizing the value of things. And what that did for me is it made me feel, um, in a good way, a burden. So I wanted to make sure I made my own money. I didn't want to be super dependent on my parents or other people. And I, that kind of stuck with me. I put myself through school for the most part. I mean, my parents paid for my first two semesters, I think. Um, and then after that, I have pretty much student loans and scholarships for me the whole way forward. But um, I, I just always wanted to be able to handle my own shit uh, financially. And granted, I still was a broke college kid, but like, you know, it, I was broke because I didn't make the money. I was broke because, you know, I hadn't gotten paid that week. And once I started doing professional artwork, I kind of started having this feeling of like, if I want more money, I'm going to have to make more money. Um, it, I think it's really easy to look at the world as like, well, I'm broke just because I'm broke. And it's harder to be like, well, I'm broke because I'm not attempting to make more money. I know that sounds so simple, but it's like a mindset shift. Um, and so like that was a huge deal for me. So I would do these projects and I would charge like very little money for them. And then I would start feeling like I'm doing more work for the money that I made on this. If I can spend that money on lunch while working on the project, then what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> um, and so I started being like, I should be able to charge more, but, but I've always felt bad. There's a strange guilt that I always had with charging for artwork because I was like, Oh, I don't know if my artwork's really worth that much. You know, it's hard to point to your own work and be like, this is worth this much. Uh, the, the biggest switch for that for me was when I stopped focusing on the value of the artwork and I started focusing on the value of the time. Um, and that's my main thing I say. So, so instead of me being like, this art costs $100, I go, no, this hour costs this much. And then a lot of people are like, well, how do you, what's your hourly rate? I can't just say that my time is worth $30 an hour. And it's like, you totally can, actually, if you just add up all of your expenses, put them together and go, These are, this is how much money I literally have to spend a month to survive. Water bill, rent, food, whatever. All the things you actually have to spend, gasoline, your tuition, alimony, I don't know, but like all the things you literally need to do. And then you take those, you divide them up into a 40 hour a week rate. And guess what? That is the minimum amount of money you can actually charge for a thing mathematically. Any lower than that, you were literally purposely taking money out of your own pocket. And so when people try to be like, oh, why is your art worth that much? It's like the art's not, my fucking hour is. <laughs> and I can add up and show you the numbers for why. But here's the deal. That's your minimum. Double that shit because you deserve to move forwards. And then that's how I started valuing myself more. Like when I finally had that mindset, because I was doing these um, these uh, portraits, these illustration portraits, and I was charging like $25, $30, $50. 
And then I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I'm losing money on each one. And not only that, I hated doing them. Um, because it wasn't the work I wanted to be doing. Like, they, they were good. People liked them for the most part. Every time someone was like, that's not what she looks like. I died a little inside. But it was like, like at the end of the day, I knew that wasn't the work I wanted to be doing. That's kind of a different story. But the point is, like, I went from doing that, like, $25 a thing to charging, like, $500 or $1,000 per thing. Because I simply just started, you know, stopped looking at the product I was giving people. I mean, partially. I, there's partially still a value in what you're giving the client. But I mostly started being like, how much is my week worth? How much is my day worth? You know, if, if I'm putting aside a whole day of my life to work on someone else's thing, I'm never getting that day back ever again. <laughs> this is the only this day I will ever live. It will never be August 21st, 2018 ever again. So if I'm giving this day to somebody, what the fuck is that worth to me? <laughs> and that's kind of how I started looking at everything. And so switching over to parkour, one thing I feel about parkour hugely is how a lot of people in parkour are like, well, parkour should be free. It has always been free. Parkour should be free. Well, guess what? Parkour is, will always be, and has always been free. We've never charged for parkour. We've talked, we we charge for someone's hours of teaching parkour because of their years of experience. We charge for someone's time that they put into building a gym. We charge for someone's time that they put into being good at teaching. We charge for someone's time that they put in for like learning how to do all of the skills they've been learning how to do. Time is valuable. Parkour is free. But no, you're not paying for parkour. You are paying for someone's time. And that's just what it comes down to me. And I'm tired of parkour people being like, my time isn't worth everything. Your, your time is literally the most valuable thing you have. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a well, long I think, no, <laughs> that, I think that was freaking awesome. Like, I, I don't think I could have said it too much better myself. Um, I thought it was really genius the way that you were sort of putting together all of your expenses that you need to live mm -hmm. and then dividing that by a normal work, work week. I personally wouldn't want to divide it by 40 just because a 40-hour work week is, like, rough. Oh, agreed. Super rough. My, my work but, week is probably, like, 25 right there. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just based, based on, like, the, uh, the past work situation that I was in, like, 20 hours to 25 hours is, like, a very doable, sustainable work amount for me, at least. Mm -hmm. 40 hours, I'm just like, oh, why? Yeah. It's, especially because it's... it's yeah, and it's made up bullshit, too. Like, we have no reason to think 40 hours is normal except for the fact that we've been doing it. But, like, when anybody that works a 9-to-5, if you shot them with an honesty ray and then went, how many hours a day do you actually work? They'd be, like, three. <laughs> like, the rest is me, like, <laughs> trying to keep my sanity for being locked here for eight hours a day. And then the other thing that I thought was really important was just talking about valuing your time and... Parkour is free, but people's time, money, resources, and effort, those things aren't free. No. And so we need to charge for those things. So I felt like that was just really astute, just because a lot of times people won't take all that into account. And I can't really put my finger on what causes that. Oh, man. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go off again. As someone who went to art school, I, I think I know, I have an idea of what it is. It, people feel guilty about commodifying something that they actually enjoy doing. Um, so... When it comes to art, right, people are like, I can't charge $500 for this drawing. I actually liked drawing it. Okay, let's let's unpack that for a second. What are you saying? What you're saying with that statement is that I enjoy it, therefore it's worthless. And how sad is that? 
Like, that is the culture we live in. Like, we live in a culture where it's like, if you actually enjoy your job, you're not working. And it's like, fuck that. Yes, you are. You're at, you are doing the most true version of your work that exists in the world because you're enjoying doing it, right? You should be charging more because you love doing what you do. Um, it, it doesn't, that, that concept makes no sense to me. And it's honestly, a lot of it's the, the older generation, the generation right above us. They have fed us this horse shit that, oh, well, I hate my job, you have to hate yours. And so we all charge little for the things we love to do. Um, but it's totally the opposite, man. Like, in, like a, you know, if, if you talk to somebody that works at Amazon and, and loves what they do, they're not going to be like, well, I guess I'll charge $10. No, they're not going to do that. You know, like, an Amazon employee. So that's the thing. It's like, I feel like we have this toxic idea that because we love parkour, we're not allowed to make money off of it. And it's like, sure, and it's in a perfect world, you know, you wouldn't charge for anything and you just exist, but we live in the United States of America 20, uh, circa 2018. It's not a perfect world. So you got to play the game or you lose. Um, I'm not saying I enjoy that. I'm not advocating the game. I hate the game. I hate the game to death. If I could sit, if I could sit in, um, I don't know, in a beach house and draw comics and, and do parkour all day, that's the only thing I'd ever do. But guess what? I live in this world. I have to play the game. If I don't, I'm just going to fall behind. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So. And so I guess that's like a perfect transition to my next question, which was since we do have to like subsidize our own lives generally by our own work, um, what's your work life and training balance look like right now? Oh, right now it's, it's great. It's the best it's ever been. Um, because I don't work in a parkour gym anymore. <laughs> I know, I know a lot of people are going to hate that. Shots gonna hate fired. Hearing that. Uh, shots fired. And you know what? Like I loved working at parkour visions. Like, uh, there's no part of me that's like F that. No, no, that was actually one of the most fulfilling jobs I've ever had. But when I worked 32 hours a week there, it was hard for me to enjoy parkour on its own because parkour became this thing I had to be a part of all of the time, especially when I didn't want to. And when you have to do something you don't want to do, you're just going to not like it. So right now, my work consists of two things. It's art, which you know splits into graphic novel work that I'm finally being paid for, and then um, parkour-related commission pieces. And then the other part of that is uh, stunt work. And I, I love the doing the stunt work. Um, it's hard, and it's arduous, and it is fulfilling as anything else but stunt work isn't there all the time uh, i can't just hope that i'm going to be working on set next week it's it's actually so insanely the opposite where i just am like oh my god i'm running out of money ah i'm freaking out and then literally three days later someone's going hey are you available next week <laughs> like, yes i am and then you're working and then like up until that day of work you feel great you're like oh i'm happy because i know i have something coming in and then that day of work you feel great and the week after that day of work you feel great but then it fizzles really fast when you're like oh the paycheck got here and i cashed it and I spent it on that thing I needed to do. Uh-oh. And then, like, you start worrying again. And so some work is a really hard thing to depend on um, because it's just so unstable. But as of right now, I've been very fortunate in the last two years to have sustaining stunt work, which has sustained me for the most part and allowed me to focus on the art I wanted to do. I put a whole year's worth of work into the art I wanted to do. And then that led to the graphic novel deal that I, have, that I got this year. And then also, like, the parkour t-shirt stuff that I'm doing. Like, parkour t-shirts don't pay me a lot because of the whole concept of what we're talking about. There's not the most money in parkour at the moment. But 
the thing that I love about it is it like I like doing those projects, so I will do them for cheaper because I I love the community and I want people to have things. But that being said, I I try to when I do work for people, I try to tell them like this is what I want to charge, but this is what I'm charging you, and that's not a knock at you. That's just me being like BT Dubs. This is how I value my work because if you don't tell people that up front, they're they're gonna value your work at whatever you charge them. So let's say I'm doing you a favor and I charge you zero money for a project. But in my head, I'm like, I normally charge 1500 for this and I'm doing you a huge deal. But if I never explain to you, I normally charge 1500 for this, you're just going to be like, oh, I guess this is a zero dollar thing. And like, you know, it, people don't do it on purpose, but they just kind of like have this idea of like, that's what this is worth. Therefore, that's what this is worth. When you tell them up front, like I charge $1,500 for this thing but I like what you're doing, so I'm gonna charge you nothing. Then they're gonna be like, oh my God, <laughs> like, and, they're gonna, and they're gonna value what you do. So to finish up the point, when I'm working, I'm working, and when I'm training, I'm training, and parkour has been nothing but fun, and there's no pressure, there's no like, how am I gonna be sponsored, and then, and then be able to live, how am I gonna make money off of my t-shirts, how am I gonna do it, like, parkour is just parkour. And I hate to drag him into it, my, my buddy Julian Hames is one of the, uh, he's so fun to train with, one of the best people to train with in, in Atlanta. If you're ever in Atlanta, you hit him up. He All he does, all he wants to do is chill and train, and, and, and then he has his job on the side. And same thing, he was working at a gym for a minute, and he was like, man, this is a lot. But now he has, like, a job where he gets off, he, like, checks the sediment levels at construction sites, and then he's off at 3 o'clock. And so every day at 3 o'clock, in the, in, the eight, in the Atlanta Parkour group chat, Julian's like, all right, I'm off training in Sandy Springs, training here, training downtown, and like we train every day, or he trains every day. I can't even keep up. But I know I could train every day if I want. And like we talked about it, and Julian's like, this is the happiest I've ever been because he's like, I have my job, I do my job, I leave my job at home or at work, and then I go train. And, and I think a lot of people, we have this idea that like, I need to make parkour my, my, my work. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't have to. If you want to, that's fine, but like, I just want people to know that you don't have to. Like, you don't have to, and if you, chances are if you don't, like, you'll be happier, and you'll love it more, so. And so, I feel like, at least in my mindset, years ago, back when I was training super, super hard, I felt like I would, was more pressured into making parkour my livelihood, because otherwise, my skill level wouldn't be increasing as quickly as I'd wanted wanted to be. Yeah. Do you feel like... If you have a normal nine to five ish type of job, that that would get in the way of you being able to do parkour and get continue getting good. I mean, a normal nine to five, yes and no. Like yes in the in the idea that like I think our nine to five culture and system is so broken and not human in any way. Uh, we shouldn't be working more than five to six hours a day. Um, and that's why people get home and feel tired and drained and then they don't have the energy to do the things they want to do. And then they try to squeeze all of their social and family interactions into the weekend. And then next, you know, they don't have any time for themselves. So specifically to a nine to five, like there are reasons why people feel so tired. Um, but as far as having a job and then parkour on the side, um, me personally, like I can't speak for everybody, but for me personally, when I was in, caught up in the whole, like, I need to get sponsored and I need to make parkour work, I need to make parkour my career, I was not progressing at all. I, I mean, sure, I was progressing, but so slowly because the basis for all of my progression and training was negative. It was toxic. It was coming from a place of, I have to be good at this. If I'm not good at this, I will, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it was just like this pressure. You could feel it when I just said, like, that's, that's some pressure. 
but now when I train, it's just because I want to train. And one thing I've learned personally about my the way I train, and, I, and honestly, I do think about the way a lot of not just people training, but the way creatives create, is when you're forcing yourself to to create, uh, it's it's a slog, and it is awful and it's painful. Um, but when you are having fun, you will create everything. And my favorite example of this is Nathan Weston. Nate is one of the most prolific athletes right now, both acrobatically and just like like ascension, dissension, A to B parkour. Like they can do everything in parkour. And I, I was, you know, lucky enough to watch him some days at PKV where he'd just come into the gym three hours before his class and just be like, I'm gonna play around. And I would watch him legitimately play. He'd be bored and be like not bored, but like bored in that good way like what am I going to do today and I'd watch him look at stuff like what if I did that and then it was this moment of like what if this what if I did that oh what if and it was just this pure exploration and joy and creativity whereas when I was like I have to get good at this move today it's like like you can feel the difference of that motivation right so when parkour is people's jobs and then they're like I have to do this I need more followers I need more money I need more likes it's like They're trying to create from a very extrinsic and toxic and heavy place. But when parkour is not your job and it's just that thing you love to do, you just love to do it. And like, it's those moments of pure joy and boredom and uh, creativity that that makes really good athletes. I guarantee you, any of the best athletes, because I've I've talked to a lot of them. Um, You talk to Callum Powell, you talk to Foskey, you talk to Joy Adrian, um, you talk to Dom. A lot of them are uh, Dom DiTomaso. They're all just like, oh yeah, like... Like I mean, I'm not gonna say they said this, but I when I watch them train, they're 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 in their zone. They're all they're thinking about is training, and they're like, oh, this is fun. I like doing this. And sure, I could be wrong. You know, one of them could be like, no, I'm stressed out. But (laughs) but I like to think that like from watching them, like they they look like people that are just purely in the zone. And so yeah. And so I guess like another worry that some people might have about getting a more non-parkour centered job is that it would lead them to, like, giving up on parkour and their parkour dreams. I think I've heard of you talk about how your artistic friends would, like, give up on art after leaving art school after a while. Do you feel like there are any connections or similarities there? Yes. Um, oh, man, that's a really good question. So the, the first thing I want to say off of that is that with, with parkour specifically, a lot of people don't realize that they're trying to do something they don't want to do. So with when people are like, I want to be a parkour coach. No, you don't. You want to be a parkour athlete. Those are two different things. A parkour coach is not a parkour athlete. Parkour athletes can be coaches and parkour coaches can be athletes, but those are two different things. An athlete is someone who just trains all the time. A coach is someone who is coaching and is instructing. So if you're imagining yourself doing parkour all day, then you want to be an athlete. If you imagine yourself teaching 12 kids that almost don't want to pay attention and then eight adults who are afraid of literally leaving the ground, guess what? You don't want to be a coach. <laughs> um, and I know so many young guys are like, I'm going to be a coach at this gym. And I'm like, why? Because I want to make parkour my career. I'm like, yeah, but what in parkour? Saying I want parkour to be my job is like saying I want art to be my job. Okay, do you want to be a graphic designer? Do you want to be an architect? Do you want to be a sculptor? Do you want to be a comic book artist? Do you want to be an animator? Those are all different things. And so what I think happens with a lot of people is they have this grand idea of, I want to do this vague thing that I enjoy doing, but they never really stop and say, what about this thing do I actually enjoy doing? So when it comes to parkour, 
I think people need to recognize whether they want to be an athlete or they want to be a coach. Because I know some people who are like, I want to coach. And they are amazing coaches because they're actually there to coach. That is what they want to do. But then the people that are like, like once again, like Nathan Weston, Daryl Stingley, people who are like, I want to be an athlete. They are finding avenues to be athletes because instead of trying to go backwards and be like, I am a coach, that will lead to me being an athlete. They're like, no, how can I become an athlete? How do athletes in other sports become sponsored and professional? Like that's the mindset that those guys have. So with my art school friends, it's the same thing where they're like, I want to draw comics. And you know what? Maybe that was never the case. Maybe they want to design characters for animation maybe they want to design toys for Funko but the problem is when you I think when when people decide too early on that this is what I do this is what I want to do I have to stick to that I can't change my mind it's really really bad because they run the risk of actually realizing that they don't want to do that thing too late and it's harder to switch when you're kind of like neck deep but at the same time if you know what a sunk cost fallacy is, which I know you do, we've talked about it, you should just quit. <laughs> and can you do a quick update for everybody who doesn't know what sunk cost is? About what so it is? Our, our great friend Zahava made me think of this <laughs> for the first time ever. Like, and she was the one that really like sunk it in because I was working this job I did not like. I'm not going to say what it was. <laughs> but I was working this job I really didn't like and I kept trying to justify how long I'd been sticking to it. And... Zahava was like, do you know what sunk cost fallacy is? And I was like, no. And she's like, all right. So you're walking to the grocery store. I'm like, okay. You're walking to the grocery store. You get halfway there. And you realize it's Sunday. The grocery store is closed. Do you keep going to the store? I go, no, they're closed. She goes, exactly. <laughs> You've, you're halfway there. And it would be futile to keep going. So you turn back and just call it a waste of time. You, you chalk it up to be a learning experience. And guess what? Life's the same way. If I spent five years wanting to be an animator and then suddenly learned fuck i don't like animating well guess what stop stop now because going another five years it's just going to make it harder to um and yeah i think a lot of people fall into that um so i think it's important to recognize when you're doing it because we we i have this idea i've been talking about a lot called holding the kettlebells and I don't know why I always imagine it as kettlebells, but I always imagine people holding two kettlebells, and they're just like, oh my god, I'm holding these kettlebells, and they're like 50 pounds each, and I've been holding them for like a day, and they're, I'm really tired. And like, they can't see it, because they're like stressed out, and their eyes are closed, and they're looking up, but you're looking at them, and you're like, bruh, those kettlebells are a foot off the ground, and you're standing in grass. Like, if you let them go, ain't nothing gonna happen. <laughs> And then they let him go and go, oh, that wasn't that bad at all. And that's what most of the, like, we suffer more often in our heads. Like, we, we go, I can't, I can't do that. If I quit, what are people going to think? And it's like, who knows? They might not give a shit. <laughs> or they might care. But either way, are you happy right now? Okay, well, then you should do that thing. And this isn't me trying to preach to the world. This is me also telling this to myself when I listen back to this podcast. Because I guarantee you, I'm going to need to hear it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. I think part of that is that in parkour, you don't really... Do you know what smart goals are? It's like no. specific, measurable... Um, yeah, okay. I don't remember what the exact acronym is right now, but pretty much they're usually very concrete and time-measured goals that you can actually be like, yes, I did learn 30 new Spanish words in 10 days. Great. Mission complete. And so, because in parkour... You, usually you like go out and you, you have like the Nate Weston mindset, like, what am I going to do today? And you just sort of do stuff and then you just consistently go out long enough that you're progressing, right? And so yeah. 
I guess what you're trying to say is like sometimes people don't realize that you can't just sort of free ball everything and have it all work out in the same way that you can with parkour training. And so, and then also I think it was really interesting how you said Nate and Daryl have looked at other athletes, not in parkour, but just outside and said, okay, well, what did those people do so that I can achieve the goals that I want in parkour and then probably outside of parkour as well? So I think those were both really important because parkour is really, really young still. We have like the Yamakaze generation to look up to and say, okay, what did they do to be successful? And that's an, that I feel like they're, they are complicated role models to look at. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to live their exact lives the way it's gone, just because it seems like it's been a very, very windy road and it's not necessarily like led into the land of fruit and honey in the same way you might have like a long winding road for like skateboarders. And Mm -hmm. then you have Tony Hawk, who's like super freaking rich. Like we don't have any super, yeah. we don't have any good examples of massive success like that in parkour, that, in the same way so that you've had with skateboarding. So, that's very true. I think it's really important to look to other people as models to see what we want to do and how we can sort of get there. So, yeah, it, it's that. it's something I, I want to give a shout to Renee Scavington um, because he has this thing he says where he goes, "Parkour is not special." And Kai Willis has talked about it. And people always react negatively. Like, how dare you? Parkour is special. And it's like, you know what? Parkour is special. It's special to me um, in a way. But but when they say that, they're not trying to be like, parkour isn't anything worth talking. No, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is a lot of times, and this happens, where parkour people try to be like, nothing, there's nothing else like parkour. And in some regards, that is 100% true. But in some regards, that's not true. And there, there's a bit of narcissism that I don't like about that whole, like, parkour is the most nothing else is like parkour and it's it's something i read in that mark manson book you know where he's like there's a degree of narcissism to think that you're the only person in the universe that's ever had this problem like there are 7.5 billion people i don't know i, I don't even remember how many people there are anymore there are billions of people in the world and for you to think i am the only person with this problem you're probably wrong like there's probably someone on reddit that's like hey i'm going through this exact same thing and you can just go on reddit and be like does anyone else have this problem and someone's like yeah i do and you're like oh what did they do about it now that's a light case right so when it comes to parkour it's like why do we only look into parkour for how to succeed? It's like, why not look at other sports? And so when those guys say, like, oh, parkour is special, that's what they're talking about. They're saying parkour is awesome, but it's also a sport, and these other sports exist, and we can learn so much from them. And then, and I guess something else I wanted to say really quick, sorry to keep long-winding it, is uh, I noticed I was saying earlier, like, you know, figure out what you want to do in parkour, you know? And I think the thing that a lot of people say after that is, well, I don't know what I want to do. And that is scary. It's like a lot of us don't know what we want to do, you know, but my only advice to people that don't know what they want to do would be like, stop trying to figure out what you want to do (laughs) and start just being very mindful of when you're enjoying yourself constructively. Um, So one of my big goals in my career is I want to write for television, um, specifically for animation, because I feel like I'll just work with a lot more fun people. But I want to be in a writer's room with other writers. And the only reason I know this is because when I was at school and I was working on my story, I would just start talking about it with like two or three friends. And then it would turn into this environment where they're like throwing out ideas. Like, what if he did that? I'm like, no, the character wouldn't do that. What if this thing happened? I like part of that, but I don't like all of it. And then I'd be like, oh, what if I put these two ideas together? And then I learned after that, that's how people write television. And so like, there's no part, nothing happened. 
when I was in high school, I didn't go, I want to write TV, because I just didn't know how that happened, and also I never looked at myself as a writer, because, like, technically I'm a bad typer and I have, a bad, I have bad handwriting, so I've never been like, I'm a writer. But then when I realized this thing I really enjoy doing is a thing, then I was like, oh, what is that thing? How do I do this as a job? And so that's what I want, that's the one thing I want people to be more mindful about is instead of being like, I need to look at a list of things to do and then do one of those things. It's like, no, like just do what you love, enjoy doing it, and then be mindful about the things that make up what you love. You know, like when you're drawing, do you love the act of actually drawing or do you love creating a character? You know, do you love telling a story or do you love designing environments? Like what part of that is really the thing that's like, that's just like you're connected to. And, and then based on that, like, how can you do more of that? So preferably, how can you do more of that while getting paid too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who can you do that thing for? <laughs> like it's a, a little thing I had written down somewhere. And I can't remember where I heard it, but it's like, Find people who need something, you know, find out how you can do that thing for them. Step three, blank, step four, profit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds you perfect. Know. Yeah. That's another problem with parkour companies is people are like, I want to make a parkour company. And if you're like, why? They're like, because I want to do something cool. You're like, okay, who, who cares? And I don't mean that in a negative way, but like literally, who, who actually cares? But if you have a why, if you're like, I'm doing this because I think people with disabilities need clothing too, well, th that you just found your market. You found your audience. You know, you're doing something for them and they're going to support you because you're doing something for them. Like, no one's going to support you because you're doing something for yourself. <laughs> no one's going to give you money because you're awesome. Like, people give you money because you're giving them something. Because you're solving a problem they have? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so complete lack of any sort of uh transition we're just gonna get straight into it so brian awesome. you were working on a pretty cool thing last year right can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that yeah so in 2017 i uh i spent four months in vancouver canada working on a feature film called the predator in which i played the predator ta-da <laughs> and kind uh, of a big deal but okay, kind of a big deal. It's 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 a funny situation because, according to people that know me, they're like, "You're the star of the movie," but it's like, "No, I'm not." Like the humans are. I'm I am a stunt guy in the movie, and it's a strange like it's this strange thing where like, according to Hollywood, I'm I am nobody, but according to my friends and family, they're like, "This is your movie," and you're like, "Okay," and like it's just it's really weird to exist in. Um, but no, man, yeah, I did the work. I bled. You know, left blood, sweat, and tears in that costume, and uh, it was like a really fulfilling experience. It meant a lot. It put me in a financial place that allowed me to work on the things I wanted to work on, um, and it just changed my life for the better. And it's just like it's been a crazy experience. Uh, there's been some strange ups and downs with it that a lot of people wouldn't expect. Most of them mental and emotional, just de dealing with people and circumstances that are like, it's not that they're difficult. It's just like, it's a new territory for me. So I often find myself in a situation where I'm trying to navigate something I've never navigated before. And, um, it's just hard, but all in all, like it's, it's been amazing. And I'm super looking forward to the movie coming out in a few weeks. So I think it was really cool that the fact that you even landed the role. And I feel like a big reason, just based on the story that you had told me about it is the fact that you had a really diverse toolbox like going into your audition 
Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that differentiated you from everyone else in the uh, in the audition? Yeah, so so it was it was mostly pure luck. But one thing my professor in college told me was luck is opportunity meets preparedness. Um, like luck can happen to anybody, but if you're not prepared, then it's just going to wash over you. So for my case, like it's something I never could have planned. Um, I was working at Parker Visions in Seattle at the time. I had not even applied for this position or applied for this role. Um, and I just got a call one day from a stunt coordinator because he had talked to somebody, I think it was Paul Darnell actually, um, which I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that he talked to him. Paul Darnell talked to Renee and they asked like, who's the tallest parkour guy, you know, and then Renee re- uh, recommended me. And so they called me and then flew me to LA in a week. I sent them my stuff. They liked it. I flew me to LA and then I was in this audition with four other guys, great dudes, some of them, I'm, like, most of them, all of them I'm still friends with, actually. And it was just this crazy situation where these guys were, like, super prepared, and they had been training for weeks. And I was like, I just ca- got called about this a week ago. But the audition was in Tempest uh, Free Running Academy in the Valley, and the the way that my coordinator set it up was, like, start here, end here, do whatever you want in the middle. And it was basically an NAPC-style competition but with like acting like a monster instead of doing flips and stuff so I just was like I've been doing the comps all year in 2016 I'd done like three comps and I was stoked so I was like oh yeah I can do this and so like I just like got into it and I did my thing and then yeah I got a call the next day and like Fox was like yeah we loved it and we want we want you to be the character and I was like how because <laughs> I like it literally in a week everything was different but like the biggest part about that was I had to like like when I was in that audition I had to like just I didn't assume I was gonna get it I wasn't negative like oh I'm not gonna get it I was just like hey if I don't get this life's good because I had to I had to be in that mindset you know if I had suddenly bet all of my chips on this audition like if I didn't get it I was gonna be broken so I had to like leave myself in a place I've been like this. This might I might get it. I might not. And either way is fine. I got I got flown to LA to train at Tempest for free. This is a really cool vacation. But yeah, so I'd say like the biggest thing of the toolbox question you asked is like, I'm six ten and I do parkour, and I think I'm the tallest guy that does parkour. There's probably someone else out there, and they're gonna comment like, oh, I'm taller. Cool, whatever. I've been doing it for ten years. Like I was the first tall guy that did it, and I'm gonna own that. And because when I first started doing parkour, people would say to my face like, you shouldn't be doing this. Like you can't you can't do this this is bad. Like, you're going to die. Like, I was told this every day, but, like, I loved Brian when he was 19 because he was just like, oh, yeah, and then, like, and then I do the thing. And the thing is, it's like, people, it's strange how the the world tells you to just be the same. If you feel like you're in a room and you're the only one that's wearing shorts, wear jeans. And it's like, no, wear those fucking shorts because then people are going to be like, hey, you're the guy with the shorts and you're going to stand out. And standing out matters. I, I know it's, it, it sounds strangely superficial, but it's true. And the thing is, if, if I was another 6'9 guy trying to play basketball, I'd be among all the 6'9 guys playing basketball. But I'm the 6'9 guy that does parkour. And that's always benefited me with like networking and just making friends and going to jams and having a good time. Because I always feel like I get to just 100% be myself. I'm not pretending to be like everybody else. And that's been a huge part of my life. You know, like I'm, I'm a 6'10 guy who does parkour and isn't draws comics, right? Like, like it's, I've just then like then like and the thing is like i've constantly had to justify myself to the world people were like what why don't you play basketball you should da 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 and i'm like for years it was hard to constantly be like because i don't want to because i don't want to 
and since the predator thing happened, it's been this huge weight off my shoulders because now when people are like, you should play bar, you should play basketball. I'm like, no, I'm the fucking predator. <laughs> and it's, it's nice to be able to be like, shut the fuck up. I can do whatever I want. The way you use you, the way you view the universe is wrong. And that is why you are doing something that you hate. <laughs> and that's just something I've had to adopt. And, you know, you can call me cocky for thinking that, but no, man, I've, I've had enough self-deprecation over the last 10 years to say that, like, it feels good to be confident about that now. So, yeah, man, stand out, do what you want to do, do what you love, and the world can just, like, fucking suck it. (laughs) I always hear other people in podcast world talk about is that it's better to be different than to be just better. Like, it... Yeah. So, it's cool hearing the same idea in different places popping up. It's pretty dope. Dude, yeah, like, people overvalue this idea of being the best, being A plus 100%, and it's like, nope, B, C, be a C plus, but be diverse, and and that's the thing I say with, with my commission work, like, the, the work I do for commissions is, is work I would consider B work, like, like, if it was an art school project, I would get a C or a B on it, and that doesn't mean it's bad, it's just that, like, I've realized that, like, it's better to do 10 projects at a B than three at an A. Um, because the chances are that last 20%, the client doesn't even recognize. Like, we've been conditioned by art school to think that I have to be an A-plus student. I have to be the best and stand out. And it's like, no, because if you have one piece in your portfolio and the other guy has 12 and his are technically not as good as yours, well, guess what? They're more diverse. They've done more work. And when a, when, a, when someone's trying to hire you, they're not looking at how good of a one thing that you labored on for four years can look. They're looking at how many things can you do? Can you get this thing done? done and so in a way yeah quantity matters over quality now it's a balance it's not like now if you have a hundred things but they're all garbage then they're garbage but but it's this balance it's this balance of being like i can do a good amount of work but at, at at a very very adequate quality and then when i really need to i can kick it up into 100 percent if i need to but and the cool thing about that too especially with like comics right is like you want to have those panels or those pages that are like banger. You don't want everything to be a banger because in the audience, it's like those parkour videos where like it's nothing but banger tricks. And it's like, these are cool videos, but I almost can't even appreciate most of it because they're all such bangers that I only am really like, it's like binge watching too many TV shows. And you're like, I watched it all, but I don't remember it. And like, what, why the fuck did you watch it? Then? <laughs> you didn't even take it in. Yeah. And so you ate your food so fast you didn't enjoy it. I don't know. It's just like... <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel that. One thing that we could apply directly to parkour would be the idea of you don't have to be 100% the best in order to like be successful. I feel like I saw some art thing that was like, oh, you know, if the best artist moves to New York, but then they get scammed and they lose all their money and they don't know how to manage their money or whatever, then they're screwed. Whereas an artist who's like, almost as good as that person but definitely not as good but has like street smarts and understands how to network and deal with people and just live and survive and be like an effective business person are gonna is gonna be a lot more successful than the uh super talented person yeah that's i i agree with it like i i know artists i graduated with that are the best uh or they do work that's so good i don't understand it and they don't work because they never bother to 
learn how to be good at the business side of it. And I hate saying the business side of it because it's true, but people have like a natural oh, business uh, reaction to it. Um, but the thing is, it's like at, at the end of the day, what business is, is business is interacting with people. And you need to learn how to do that. Like you need to learn how to interact with people and you might not like it. You might be like, I'm bad at interacting with people. I have bad social skills. And guess what? Like that's, you know, that sucks. I'm sorry. Like I used to be really awkward in school. I didn't know how to talk to people. And to this day, when I walk into a room full of strangers, I unfortunately have these overwhelming thoughts that people for some reason just don't like me. I have that, but I, I, I have had to learn ways of, of quieting that voice because at the end of the day, like I have to play this game. So what it comes down to is like, no, you don't need to be the best. It's like with, with musical instruments, right? Like you can buy a guitar for 20 bucks or you can buy a guitar for $5,000. There's a point, I don't know where that point is. Maybe it's $100, maybe it's $300, but there's a point where the more money you're spending on this thing isn't helping you be a better musician. I say, I say, I have a friend like that who would be like, I just bought the newest Photoshop and I just bought a tablet and I just, I'm like, cool, you haven't drawn anything. Like, the tools aren't making you a better artist. It's the time you put into it that makes you a better artist, right? Um, and so in that same respect, it's like you don't need to be the best artist or parkour athlete to succeed. And a lot of people have this backwards idea that you do. Oh, I'm so much better at that person at that trick, but no one knows who I am. Yeah, because they actually put out content consistently, and you don't. And you're literally asking a question of why do people like them more than me? Because they see them, and they don't see you. So yeah, that's something I think is completely backwards in our world is like, uh, I need to be the best to succeed. It's like, no, you need to be adequate. You, you need to be able to handle it. <laughs> you need to be able to do the thing and that's it. And then of course, like you want to be good, don't get me wrong, but like get good while doing it. Like fail forwards, fuck up, um, and get good by, by doing actual projects. Like, get good at business. Be, like, get screwed over. Like, do, do a job and have somebody not pay you half and then know what that feels like and then don't do it again. You know, like, that is how we succeed. Like, we have, like, what art school did to me is it, it made me know way too much so that when I graduated, I had this, this strange dichotomy of I understood what not to do and what to do, but I hadn't done it yet. And then I was afraid to do it wrong because I knew. Whereas, like, I don't know, the way I always tell the story is you have two people standing at a starting line. And they're both going to run 10 miles. So one of them has spent months, or one of them's like, I'm going to figure out how to, how to run. I'm going to figure out the best way. I'm going to figure out how to hydrate. I'm going to figure out what to eat. I'm going to figure out the best shoes to wear. I'm going to figure out this. And they have all of this knowledge. And then by the time they start running, they know so much that they're just super critical of like, is that right? Is my, is my gait correct? Am I stepping in the right place? Am I hydrated? Are, are my clothes correct? The other, like the other girl, she just started running <laughs> and she was tripping over herself and she was falling down and she looked goofy halfway through, but then she was like, oh, let me stop doing that. Cause that feels weird. Oh, oh I'm really thirsty. Let me pick up this bottle of water. And so like, so like girl over here, she's five miles down the road. And granted, that first five miles looked kind of shitty, but she's five miles down the road. And then the person, the other person is like, they haven't even started. They're 10 feet in and they're so self-conscious about it that they're not even going anywhere. And that's what art school does to people. It like, it equips them with all of this knowledge that they are supposed to learn the hard way. And I'm not trying to be like, it's bad. No, it's really helpful, but they need to tell you this. <laughs> like they're equipping you with so much knowledge 
And some of it you need to throw out. And, and most of it you need to learn by just fucking up and going forwards with it. And that's something I really try to tell a lot of people because, like, I learned so much good stuff in art school. Like, I do not regret going. It was an amazing experience. But the lessons I've learned from actual projects just trump all of the things that I learned in school. And I know so many people that graduated from school and they're not doing anything because they're stuck. They're stuck in this place of, I learned all this stuff and I'm still not good enough. Like, I'm still not the best. And it's like, of course you're not. You haven't worked. And they think that employers only want to hire the best people. It's like, no, they just want to hire someone that can do the damn thing. Like, being good at it is, is second to being able to do it. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for being able to consistently execute. Yeah. Even if it's not, like, the most perfect product ever. Yeah, I've, I've learned from stunt people it's a huge problem that parkour people have when they, when they become stunt people. One of the stunt guys I worked with on Predator was like... Oh, you're a parkour guy, so you're probably going to be overly critical on everything you do. And I was like, wow, uh, that was rude because it was honest and real. <laughs> but he was like, the coolest thing I learned about doing, about doing stunts, but really just like being in front of the camera on a movie set, is when you fuck up, you keep going until they say cut. Parkour people are like, oh man, my foot wasn't perfectly in the spot I wanted it to. So they stop with the line and then they go, stop recording, I'm going to do it again. In in film, dude, each one of these takes is $10,000. And for you to stop because you think everyone's looking at you and they're not, you're wasting that money. So you keep going. Like I had a, I had a take where my whole mask fell off. And I just kept walking like a badass. And then they were like, cut. And I'm like, that was trash. My mask fell off. And they're like, no, the camera wasn't even on you anymore. And I was like, oh... Okay, and that's just something like that. Like I feel like that concept really, you know, sets it in. It's like it's not about being perfect. It's about, it's about doing it. You know, it's about getting. It. Yeah, and I think I think trying to apply that to money for parkour people, for me at least, is like I've been super afraid of getting a full full time job for like Same. years, <laughs> and now that I'm actually like after a while though, I was like. I was in a money situation where I was like, yo, this is ridiculous. Like, this is just complete bullshit. I'm not going to keep doing this, like, t dollar, like, this job that I'm not getting paid enough for to, like, actually fund a lifestyle that I want over the long term. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, but if I, I have this goal, I want to, I want to be a teacher, an international teacher at some point. And I was like, okay, well, I don't think getting, like, 10 hours of freelance work a week is going to cut it. So I need to get actual real experience. And then, so that led me to deciding to become a, a teacher in a public school. And like the whole time I was going through the process, I had this interior voice screaming at me like, David, you're not going to be able to train though. What are you going to do? And, like, <laughs> and I feel like part of it like is that I just need to go through the experience and see if it's as terrible as I, as everything is telling me it's going yeah. to be like, I think you said the suffering we do in our mind is worse than the suffering that you usually end up experiencing in yeah. real life. And so I just want to, sort of want to get the experience to see if working a full job is as terrible as I assume it will be, or if I can put in certain like systems and habits in place so that I'm able to make a good amount of money, get useful career experience, but also be able to maintain my parkour training. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll see how yeah, it goes. Yeah, dude, that's and exciting. I will probably, I'll probably be tripping all the way like to the five mile mark, and then you know, I'll eventually finish it, and hopefully it'll look good. Yeah. In the next year or two, so and, we'll see. And the coolest thing about it is like if you hate it, 
there's going to be an aspect about it that you're like, but I liked this. How can I do more of that? And you never would have figured that out if you just didn't try it. And like, that's like, you know, you probably won't hate it, but like, if you did, like, you could still be like, but I liked that, you know? Yeah. I mean, experience is definitely the most data rich information stream that we're going to get. So you're right. (laughs) A lot of times it does make sense to just sort of send it as we like to say. (laughs) Yeah. Send it, don't end it. Yeah. Send it, send it. Okay, let's do a quick, uh, quick PSA. Remember, kids, send it. Do not end it. Do not. It's not end worth it. it. Send it. Do not end it. Continue sending it, though. Always send it. Unless it's like, super, <laughs> unless sending it is gonna end it, then then that's <laughs> then that's ending it. So remember, that's still ending it. Send it. Don't, don't end send it. it. <laughs> if sending equals ending, then yeah. <laughs> Double negative. <laughs> it's a foolproof. Okay. Like you, you can get that law to robots. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd be okay. Maybe that's how we'll protect ourselves from the AI robots taking everything over. Yes. All right, and so transitioning on to the next topic. Yeah. Um, the other day we were talking, and you talked about how moving to a high cost of living area was actually one of the better decisions that you had made yes um yeah so this is a very me thing this is one of the things that i'm definitely like i don't think everybody vibes with this but but i do um i am not a money driven person the successes i have in life were never from if i do this i'll get money it was always but i want to be happy with the thing i want to be happy with the time that i spent like that's my biggest goal is to lay down at the end of the day and be like today I did things that made me feel alive. Um, you know, whether that was like talking to somebody I love or uh, drawing a thing that I'd been wanting to draw or just having a really good training session. So I'm not money driven to a detriment sometimes. Like I've had many ideas. Like I could start a t-shirt company. I could do more of those portraits. I could go door to door drawing people's houses in, an, in a rich neighborhood where people value narcissism way too much like i i I know i i i have a like a little like car salesman brain in there somewhere that's like you could do this you could do this but it's always like but i don't want to because i know if i did that i'd make more money but i wouldn't be happier um and and like a a big thing i i attribute that to was growing up privileged like we had a really nice childhood we had things we wanted and things we didn't even need and so like growing up from that i've seen a life where i had things and i knew that didn't make me just sit on the couch and go, life is great. No, I still wanted things. So I've never been hugely money-driven on, on decisions. That being said, I am driven on environment and culture and like like my day-to-day experience. And so right now I'm in an apartment in Atlanta and like I, I have the best friends here and I love them to death. My family's here. But like where I live currently, I, I'm nowhere near in love with it. And... What I've, I've been making like a, a data sheet basically of why. And a big thing for me is I like walking. Like walking, it's it makes me feel invigorated when I wake up. It puts me in a flow state when I'm trying to write things or draw things. So I start creatively thinking. Um, and then it also puts some like some steps in my day. So I, I don't feel like I've just done nothing all day. And also driving in Atlanta makes me want to kill people. So, <laughs> and walking doesn't. So <laughs> FBI is like, oh, we're listening now. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, sorry, NSA, my bad. But the, uh, <laughs> but, um, so that being said, like I moved to Seattle in 2016. 
Um, and when I was there, I was very stressed out. It's like a very mentally stressful part of my existence. So I didn't realize how much I was enjoying being there. But I I loved so many things about living in that city, from the the water and the hills to the mountains to the... Uh, I hated the rain, and then I loved the rain because it was just like it's, it's beautiful in its own way. It's sunny in the in the summer, and it's just like full of very like creative or tech savvy driven people. And it's funny because like whenever I say I love Seattle, like someone's always like, "Yeah, Seattle's too expensive though," and I'm like, "Yeah, it is very expensive." But because it's more expensive and I love it, it makes me want to make more money to exist there. Like, it creates a struggle that I'm like, okay, instead of me being like, oh, it's expensive, so I guess there's no hope, which a lot of people do. A lot of people in Atlanta live in areas they do because we're like, it's cheap here. And I'm like, yeah, but like, but you're not happy here. Oh, but the other place is too expensive. So what could you do to make more money? And then people like to just give up. I can't make more money. Yes, you fucking can. All right. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's comfortable. It's not comfortable. But you can if you if you want to. And you can find a way because humans are problem solvers and it's literally what we do. Um, and so when I'm in Atlanta and my, my rent's cheap as hell and I don't have to work every day, I don't. And that's a problem. <laughs> I, I am like, I don't have to get that thing done today because there's no stakes. It's, it's a storytelling rule, right? If there's no stakes, the audience doesn't feel like there's any drama. But if there are stakes... You know, oh, if I don't get if I don't get this money for winning this race, I don't get the money. And people are like, okay, whatever. If I don't get the money for winning this race, then my wife is going to die from the disease she has. And suddenly, oh shit, okay, we gotta win that race, right? And it's the same thing in real life, man. It's like if 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 I don't have to make the money I need, then I'm not going to. Um, but you know, when I found an environment I enjoyed and was like, I want to live here. People are like, it's too expensive. I go, cool. How much, how much do I need to make? Like real life, give me a ballpark. And they're like, well, this much. And then I go, okay, cool. How can I make that much? And maybe I can't, but I sure as hell, I'm going to figure out a way to make half. Um, and that's just how I operate. Like I lived with, uh, when I came back to Georgia, I lived with my parents for like two months and immediately I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. I love my parents. They're actually great roommates. There's nothing like negative or dramatic about living with them it's just that like it's so comfortable that i don't have to do anything they buy groceries they let me come in and out as i please i have old furniture like i have space like it's too comfortable to the point where i'm not working i'm not striving and that's all i'm telling people is like don't settle for what you can afford find out what the fuck you want and try to get halfway there and you will be happier than what you're doing now like that's all I'm saying. Shoot for the shoot for the stars, and you might make it to the moon. Um, and once again, I'm not saying it's easy because I know if someone's listening to this, they're like, "Oh, well, he thinks it's easy." No, it's fucking hard. It's really hard. But the the most wonderful things in life are hard, and it and it's worth every step to get there. And when you like like I fixed my car window yesterday, I could have taken my car to a shop and maybe it would have cost two hundred, three hundred dollars for them to fix my window motor. But instead I was like, how do I do this myself? It was eighty dollar part and it was thirty minutes of my time. And you know what? I'm like proud of it. Like when I look at my door and roll up my window, I'm like, I fucking 
did that. And like, even though it was hot and sweaty and it was a little difficult to do, it was so worth it. And I feel like really fulfilled with the job I did. And that's how we are as people. If you just settle for what's easy and comfortable, you're going to be upset and depressed. And that's what leads to that. But I mean, you know, one of the things that can lead to that, um, and as someone who suffered from a lot of depression, I'm not speaking from like a third party place. I'm speaking from a, I've had days where I've sat on my floor and stared at the wall days. Um, so I don't want anyone coming on there being like, what do you know? <laughs> Let's have a conversation. Call me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, I got real, but it, no, I'm not sorry. It, but it's like, it, it's, it's like you, you have to, you have to, there's a level of, of struggle that we, we live off of. And if you don't have that, you're just not going to strive. So that's, what's gotten me the things I have right now. You know? Yeah. I think that's an interesting perspective. For me, it's not so, like, I'm in a pretty similar position that you were in when you were living with your family. Like, dude, my life is super chill, and I love living with my parents, especially because, like, I get to have moments with them that I wouldn't normally have. Like, sorry, Dad. Last night, um, (laughs) my my dad was just playing music, right? Uh And then he's like, he turns on Vogue by Madonna, and we're just in the kitchen just like, Vogan yeah. randomly. That's awesome. And I'm like, this never would have happened if I didn't live here. So I love that. That's legit. But I also have this vision of sort of how I want my life to turn out. And so for me, at least, I I feel motivated regardless, like despite the comfort that I have now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I really like this amount of comfort. And so I need to get my career going and get some works and stuff so that I can maintain this mm-hmm. later. Yes. Because at some point... I will no longer be 25, and I feel like, <laughs> for some people, 25 is already, like, pushing the, why are you still living with your parents situation, but, you know, you can sort of be like, no, nah, it's okay, I'm 25, yeah. I'm a, a millennial, it's whatever. When you're, like, 30, 35, 40, then it's like, alright, dude, like, come on, bro, you gotta, you gotta get your life together, and so I'm just trying to get ahead of that now. Yeah. <laughs> And also, like, I have I- ideas of where I want to end up financially, so those things motivate me without needing to be like, oh, God, I'm eating rice and beans. What What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. So I guess for me, my motivation's different, and that's fine. It's going to be different for everybody. Yeah, we're all, we're all different. I think that's... You know? And, like, yeah. backpedaling, like, that's me speaking from a place of, like... Like I'm lazy as fuck, <laughs> and like if and if you if you vibe with that, like that is how I've figured out ways to get out of it. All right, dope. And so um, we're gonna start rolling towards the last few questions. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't hit already? Um, nothing I can think of. I, I'd love to. I feel like I kind of went off the rails in terms of like talking about finances. I more talked about like, well, what do you want? So no, not I mean not not really other than like. I used to be afraid to think about finances, um, and then, like, one day I just sat down with a notebook and went, like, how much money do I have in all of my accounts, you know, how much money do I spend a month on everything, uh, how much are my student loans, what is the percentage of my student loans, how much uh, interest do I accumulate a day from my student loans, um... And then I contrasted it with like, so so I had that, I wrote it all down and it was so terrifying going in. And once I wrote it all down, it just wasn't as scary as I thought it was. 
Like, in my head, it was this big, like, I'm fucking up kind of thing. And when I looked at the numbers, I was like, okay, those are the numbers. That is the reality of this situation. Um, and it wasn't scary. It was just true. And then on the next page, I went, what rent do I want to afford? And what, you know, how much a month do I want to pay my student loans? And I started, I started wanting. I started, I started saying, what do I want to do? And pretty much from that day forward, I've tried to look at it in that way. So instead of being like, what can I do? I've tried to look at it as like, well, what do I want to do? And I'm not trying to be like, you know, once again, it's it's hard to be able to do that. But I I feel like a switch happens, especially with parkour. I feel like parkour people, by and large, will understand. Because before parkour, you're like, that is a wall. After parkour, you're like, I can get over that wall. And I feel like we should be looking at our finances the same way. We shouldn't be looking at our... (laughs) We shouldn't be looking at our financial situation as something that we just are going to be in because... Uh, we should be looking at it as something, as another challenge and another problem to solve. Damn, dude, that was that was so dope. <laughs> Thanks. That was that was some great from, shit. The heart right there. <laughs> Woo! Hell yeah, Brian! <laughs> All right, so you talked about how once you actually finally put the numbers down on paper, everything stopped being a lot like stopped being so scary. Yeah, and so. I'm wondering, like, do you still track your debts, your expenses, and your income? Yeah, occasionally. Um, when I feel myself freaking out again, I'll do it. Because um, I, I don't do it every day or, or even, like, every month or every three months. It's just, like, I did it a month or two. Yeah, I did it, like, a month ago because I was just I was freaking out. I was like, oh, man, uh, you know, how much longer is this, you know, predator money going to last me? And, you know, I got to get this book done and... Am I going to run out of money? How much is my rent? But I want to move. I want to move back to Seattle. It's something that's really kind of like I'm trying to figure out the finances for that. And and when it was just these what ifs, how can I, I don't knows, like I was freaking out. And I went, okay, well, all of the fear here is coming from unknown uncertainties. So what are those numbers? And the moment I wrote them down, I was like, oh, okay, that's what it is. And like, yeah, sure. I didn't, you know, I would have loved to see like, oh, I actually have a million dollars, but it's like, but no, like that's not going to fucking happen. But like (laughs) knowing the actual numbers, like, you know, it makes you feel better. Like with, with my graphic novel, I want it to be like 140 to 160 pages and I'm, I'm in the process of roughing out each page and that can be quick or I might take a little bit of time on it. And it was freaking me out. I'm like, that's a lot of work. How am I going to do this? I'm not going to be able to do this. Oh my God, I'm going to fail. And then my friend was like, how many pages a day do you have to do to meet your goal? And I did the math and I was like, two or three. And I'm talking like rough sketches that can take me like 10 to 20 minutes each. And he's like, okay, so do two pages a day. Since then, in about two weeks, I've done 30 pages. <laughs> because I, So you're like right on, yeah. right on with that goal? Yeah, because instead of thinking about all of the work in front of me, I just thought about the two pages. Um, I started, th- I stopped thinking about the unknown and I just, I, I put a number down. I said, it's two pages a day and now I have a number. And when I meet that number, it's a good day. When I don't, I'm mad. <laughs> so yeah. Smart goals again. Smart goals. We've, we've come back. Hell yeah. Full circle. And so, um, do you have any changes that you're planning on making for like your work, work life training balance or just for your financials in general? Yeah. Um, as far as financials, I just did a job, so I'm going to put a majority of that money away into like investments or whatever. So I don't. When I have less money in my immediate checking account, I can fool myself into being more spend savvy. Um, but that being said, like I, I want the the biggest things I want to do right now is I want to move um, back to 
Seattle or or travel around for a bit. I haven't decided. The main goal is working on this book, so whichever whatever facilitates getting more artwork done, that is what I'm going to be doing. Um, once I have gotten the thumbnails done, I would like to settle in a place, and I would like to invest in some studio space that is outside of my home, because um, for me personally, working from home is overrated, and I get cabin fever and I don't know if I'm going to I don't know whether I want to work or relax whereas when those are two different places when I'm at home I relax I will watch Netflix play video games or sleep but when I'm at the studio I am working um, especially when I'm with other people there that are also working um, and those are the two biggest changes I'd like to see in my next year um, is moving to a place that better facilitates my creative work or changing my lifestyle to better facilitate the work I need to do um, is the biggest change I would, I'm trying to work towards at the moment. And so the, before the last question, can you do your social media plugs real quick? So we know where to find you online. And oh, hells yeah. So <laughs> I have two Instagrams. Um, the one with the art that I use socially and has all the art on it. Um, I, uh, it is at the BA Prince. So T H E B A P R I N C E. My parkour-specific Instagram is at Tall Trainings. Love that handle. Um, my Twitter is the same as my other, uh, at the BA Prince. I, I don't use it very often. I'd like to use it more. But right now, Instagram is the main thing I use. Do not send me a Facebook request. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't accept it, not because I don't want to. My, my inbox, I have 30 requests in my Facebook inbox right now. And there's just more coming in from people I don't know. And I think Facebook is a great tool in some respects, but in the next few months, I'm planning on just on just closing mine because it's not doing anything but distracting me from work. I get more engagement on my Instagram, and I enjoy using Instagram more. So yeah, hit me up on Instagram. Uh, and then my website is thebaprince.com. I have some artwork on there and some parkour stuff on there as well. Oh, yeah. And we've talked about this a little bit, but what's a big goal or project that you're working on? And how can we, the parkour community, help support you? Dude, that's awesome. The biggest thing I'm working on is my graphic novel. It's called Manifester. I've been working on it for years, and I'm finally at a point where I'm being funded to do it. Um, I, I, I'm currently posting a lot of story, Instagram story content of like, hey, look at this little doodle, or I'm going to do a warm-up drawing. And honestly, people just tuning into those is the thing that can help me the most because once I get to the point where I'm penciling pages, which is going to be next year, I'm going to be doing live streams and Q&As and because like I'm going to be in the studio for more hours a day and I need to be able to keep myself sane. But eventually I want to start doing like a, a Patreon and like different ways to um, to basically make it a very community oriented experience and the thing about this graphic novel is it's like an it's an adventure story about brotherhood and emotional vulnerability and young men but also it is like a love letter to the parkour community like i have these characters through these couriers and they're just like my like embodiment of the parkour community where like you know one of these couriers could meet another one in a different city that they've never been to before and be like oh we're friends da, 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 da. and like the main character has all these parkour movements he does there's like a descent on like page three <laughs> like so it's just like honestly the best thing the parkour community can do regarding that stuff is just like tune in and like keep keep me company while i'm making it and then when it comes out pick up a copy all right 
I'll definitely have you back on once we are getting closer to the release dates. So Hell that yeah. we can uh, remind everybody to go support you and hit up your Patreon once it gets made. That's yeah, the future. Dude. Awesome. And what you can do now is follow you on your Instagram. So just thank you so much for this interview, dude. You you put out some great <laughs> content today, man. You were kicking ass. Thanks, man. I was feeling it. This was great. I, I wasn't expecting to just like be like, hell yeah. But I was like, oh, you're asking these questions that I identify with. So like, so yeah, good job to you, man. This is like, yeah. I wouldn't be able Thanks to so spit anything awesome if you weren't asking me the good questions. So. Woo. I, I appreciate the praise. And hopefully we'll be able to get some other good people on so they can just keep out Keep on putting out dope content for everybody out there. Get some good information out there for the parkour community. Hell yeah, dude. And hopefully we'll get our financial lives together so we can actually pay each other good rates when we want to do art for each other and stuff. There we go. It's the dream, man. I want parkour people to be able to fund the lives that they want because I, I keep saying it, like, we all win if we all win. You know, like like one person succeeding and holding everyone else back, like, not even they're winning because then they feel alone in it. But, like... By helping each other do the things we want to do, like, we all win. Dude, that was perfect. All right, so thank you so much for everything, Brian. Of course. A pleasure talking to you, man. Have a good one. Always, dude. All right, have a good one. All right, until next time. Bye.